0: life, and uh, we're the ones who struggle with that. You know, it's not the Lord struggling with, He's a miracle-working God. We're the ones who struggle, and we're the ones who, sometimes we don't ask, sometimes a bunch of things. So, one of the statements that I made Sunday morning was the fact that um, that uh, I, I just, I, I feel like, and I don't want to overstate this, but but I really do, in, in just praying and really seeking God for quite a while now over these subjects, I, I really feel like that... Um, Satan's just picking on us, and, and and I'm saying specifically Church of Briargate. I think he does this with the with the church at, anytime he can, but I feel like Satan is just picking on us, and at some level, uh, we're, we're kind of letting him. I, I don't mean that we're actively saying, okay, Lord, pick on me. I mean, uh, Satan, pick on me. I, I think that there's things in our life, and, and there's a bunch of stuff uh, which we could go through, and we're going to go through a little bit over the next few weeks in, in looking at this, that... That um, we just we just give avenue for Satan just to mess with us, and and he picks on our family, he picks on our lives, and and I think most of the time we don't even notice it, we don't even process it, we just think it's just kind of life, we're just going through the motions, kind of thing. Um, the the routine of life is 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 one of the biggest, in my opinion, one of the biggest hindrances to us really doing things for God the way that that we need to, and all that kind of stuff, because we just go through, we just get in patterns, and you kind of go. Numb to certain things. Here's one way to process it. Um, let's say, in the last couple weeks, take the last two weeks, have you driven to or from work and got either to work or to home and then realized I don't remember the drive? You know what I'm saying? You just go through the, you go, because your brain's doing, and it's all, your brain's just going through all kinds of stuff and you're going through this like second. I mean, you're paying attention, like if a squirrel runs out in front of you, you would notice, but you don't really, your brain's not actively processing all the different elements of this, right? And I think that's kind of what happens with our Christianity often, is we're going, we're not doing bad things, we're not, you know, out there killing people or something, but I don't think we're just, I don't think we're pursuing God and actively going toward Him because the routine sometimes makes that challenging, just the, the routine of life. And so I want us to walk through the book of Nehemiah, I think from a different perspective than probably, if you've read through the book, it's probably different than, than you would think, okay? So, so somebody, um, this is your, uh, you know, walk through the Bible stuff, uh, Old Testament survey, biblical history, that kind of thing. Somebody tell me the basic concept, what's the basic story of the book of Nehemiah? What's the story? Some of you know you're just not talking what is the what's the story what is what is the story of Nehemiah what's the book about Linda yeah yes that's the story of Nehemiah so do, we, do you guys know any history coming up what brings them to the what brings why is why is Jerusalem in shambles what brings Nehemiah to this place Nehemiah is the cupbearer to who whom uh, where were they and why do you know any of those details? Yes, who is artaxerxes what What kingdom is he from? Persians uh, Medes and Persians. Yes, he had invaded Babylon um, and was in Babylon and it's it, so the Medes had come in and invaded part of Babylon, and so you've got the those two groups of people. you got the Medes and the Persians. But predominantly Persian, okay. So, um, so they are in exile with the with in the Persian kingdom, okay. When the Medes and the Persians invaded, who did they invade? They they well, okay. Israel was taken captive and slaves, but they had specifically. There's a specific point in Scripture where this kingdom and this king is ruling and reigning, and then the Medes and Persians come in, and there's, there's a famous person that is prophesying this and is there at the time. When the Medes and Persians come in, who's there and what kingdom did they invade? The, this, the Israelites are slaves. So yes, the Israelites are, are, are being invaded, but they're not the ones in charge. They're the slaves. Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. So, um, so who is the person that is there, that's a Jewish person, that is uh, seeing all of this unfold when the Medes and Persians invade? Oh, yes, Daniel. Okay, remember that's when God writes on the wall? The night before God writes on the wall and Daniel says, you're going to be invaded in the next... and. And literally that, that, well, it's that same day, but the next day the Medes and Persians come in and they invade. So Daniel is in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, and then Daniel starts studying and looking at him some stuff, and he says, wait, God's word said that we're going to be in, in uh, slavery for how many years? Seventy years, and then we'll, God will rescue us. So God rescues them by the Medes and the Persians coming in and taking the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar from the Babylonians. Now the Medes and the Persians uh, did not necessarily take the Israelites into slavery the same way that Nebuchadnezzar did. They, the Persians gave them a lot more freedom. Right. That's why, it, that's why the, the term that uh, Kerry uses, the right term, they were in exile. They, they weren't... They, they were slaves, but they had a lot more rights than they did in, in Nebuchadnezzar times. And when, when the Persians invaded, and that was... Uh, anybody know the king? Remember the king's name of the Persians that invaded? Cyrus. So when Cyrus invades, he gives them the ability. If you guys want to leave or go do whatever, you can do that. Um, and a lot of the Israelites stayed in uh, the Persian kingdom because they, they had more there and they had already had a lifestyle set up and they realized it was going to be a better lifestyle. And uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. They didn't have anywhere to go to. Okay, so then after that, so the end of the 70 years is when the, the, the um, Persians come in and they give them a little bit of freedom. For, so some of the Israelites go back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple. And they begin worshiping in the temple again. So from the time of that uh, uh, Persian um, takeover is 90 years till the point where we come to in, in Nehemiah, right? So when Nehemiah, when we get to the story of Nehemiah, the temple has already been built and they're already worshiping in Jerusalem with the temple. The temple's good, but then we come to the point where Nehemiah says, um, But the walls of Jerusalem are not rebuilt. Okay? Now, keep, keep all that in mind. Let me, let me kind of go a little bit different direction. We're going to set some things up, and then we're going to come back to the story. All right? Let me ask you a, a, a simple question. Don't read too much into this. I'm not trying to trick you. Um, what is salvation? So let me explain, very simply, what is salvation? We use that term a lot. What does it mean? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> being saved from, uh, and then there's some things, death, sin, those kind of things. What, do you, what are we being saved to? Okay, eternal life. Um, what else are we being saved to? Okay, that, that's really the biggest one I would say. Well, it's all together. Um, but we're, we're saved to God. We're, saved, we're, we're being made right with God, right? Isn't that what the blood of Jesus does? The blood of Jesus covers us and makes us right with God. We are separated from God. The blood of Jesus reconciles us to him. In fact, when I'm praying... Uh, over the community, and I'm praying for somebody to get saved, um, I, I usually, in, when I'm thinking it through and I'm, and I'm verbalizing this to God, I usually use a term, I usually say, God, I, I pray your spirit of reconciliation over this person. I don't think it's like a formula or anything. It's just the way I, I, I heard that. I did a sermon series years ago about that, and it's just always stuck in my mind that really the concept of salvation is being reconciled to God. We're being made right with God. Adam and Eve messed it up in the garden, and the blood of Jesus gives us that ability to come into relationship with Him again. Okay, So we're being saved from, and we're also being saved to. All right, now here's, here's something that, um, that we understand. The blood of Jesus cleanses us, forgives us, makes us right with God. Now here's something I think that's important in Christianity that we don't process sometimes, is that there are some things that salvation does not do. And, and we don't always process this properly. And we don't verbalize it properly often. When, when we get saved, we're made right with God. We're, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away. And our, and our life is a new thing going forward. One of the things that we have to understand is that uh, salvation does not um, fix all the things in your life. It cleans us. And makes us right with God, but it doesn't fix all of our problems. Now, sometimes, uh, in the process of, of getting saved, the Lord does fix certain things in our life. Immediately. Instantaneously. Um, but, but really not that often. This is, let me give you a, a big example to make it simple for us to understand. I, I've been in many prisons and jails over the years and prayed with guys to get saved because everybody wants Jesus in jail. But uh, it's interesting because I've prayed with guys to give their heart to the Lord, and you know, like two or three months later, go visit him again. They're like, why am I still in jail? What do you mean, why are you still in jail? You're serving nine years. Yeah, but I gave my heart to Jesus. But you're in jail. The, the, those bars don't open because of Jesus unless he's got a plan. So, in other words, Peter, he was in jail, Jesus opened the bars, but the reason Peter was in jail is because he was preaching about Jesus, not because he stole something from the gas station, you know what I mean? So, so your, your problems are not immediately fixed, but it does give us the ability and access to the throne room of God so that we can fix our problems. We automatically have access to the wisdom giver, the truth giver, the, the ultimate king of everything in God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so that our problems can be fixed. And I would say oftentimes can be fixed quite quickly, right? But at the same time, you've got to keep in mind that you are still a product of the decisions and the conditions that you put upon yourself. Now, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. From this day forward, you can begin to change those things. You can begin to make those things different because now your mind is thinking the way that the Lord wants you to think or should. Uh, And so you have the ability to go the direction that you're supposed to go. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to. You have to make decisions. Are you going to walk in this salvation Are you going to walk in this blood covering that gives you access to God? Are you going to go to God for the answers and the decisions and all the different things you're going to... Are you going to go, okay, Jesus um, made me right with God, but I'm still going to make the decisions that I want to make according to my plans. You're you're going to hinder yourself, hurt yourself, and eventually it'll even pull you away from the Lord. All right, now, so understanding that there's still issues and problems and all this other stuff. All right, in Romans chapter 5, verse 17... We see, um, somebody got a Bible right in front of you. Why don't you read that to us? I think the Bibles in the seats are new living translations, so that'll work. Romans 5 17. Someone read it. Marcus, you got it. Paul's got it. Don't say anything, Marcus. <laughs> The, um, I like the um, the term rain I think the reason that the writer uses this is because it, it broadens out the scope. Different, like the NIV uses the term that says that you're that you will have um, um, victorious life is kind of the mentality behind it. And while that's not wrong, it's a true statement. I think the terminology "reigning" here is a is a is the, is the right way to say this, because that gives us a bigger scope than just the mentality of I'm presented with an issue and I can be victorious over the issue. When we use the terminology reign, it takes that victorious mentality and it broadens it out to the point where that, that, um, that we are fulfilling the, the, how God's designed us and created us, which is to rule and reign with him. Right, that's scripture goes over this over and over that we are going to rule and reign with Jesus, and and when we step into eternity and we get back to the place that God designed us originally in the Garden of Eden to be, we're going to rule and reign with the Lord. Right now, we have the opportunity right now to begin the process of that. This is what scripture's talking about when it says that we have the, um, that we get the um, the earnest of our inheritance. Now that 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 the Lord has given us these these. Um, opportunities to step into victory, that we get opportunities to step into His power and His glory and His authority. We're not getting the fullness of all of this, but we're, getting, we're not getting the, the, the finished product of stepping into eternity with the Lord, but we are getting the opportunity to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Now, it's, it's small in comparison to eternity, but it's big in comparison to humanity. All right? so we have the opportunity to step into this ruling and reigning, and this is what I was talking about when I started the message Sunday about that. I really feel like that God's got all these things, and I'm talking about this a lot over the last year plus, and you know, healing and, and supernatural and and gifts of the Spirit and all these things that I feel like that we as a body we're not really stepping into totally. We're doing some. We're we're not you know, it's not like we're missing God totally. It's just that it's just that God's got this plan, and we're and I feel like we're getting a little bit of it. Um, And and I think some of the reasons is because we're we're not we're we're just letting Satan have too much authority over God's authority. If God says to us, you can have this and we don't believe it, then we don't get it. If God says, I will do this in your life, all you have to do is ask me, and we don't ask him, it doesn't happen. If God says, I want to do this with you, and I want, to, I want to change your thinking and mature you in this way, and we don't go there and let the Holy Spirit do that, we stay where we are. We could use all kinds of different examples in this, all right? Different places in our life where we do where we let God be in charge and places where we don't. And so somewhere we have to make decisions that says, God, I am going to follow your plan, regardless of what I think or perceive to be the potential outcome of these decisions. And this is the biggest thing that I think... That we, but the church in America, really, but, but we at Church of Priority, also I think we struggle with is we've got 20, 30 decisions to make on a regular basis. And we make these decisions based upon, you know, what I'm thinking, processing, uh, schedule of life, priorities, all these different things. Instead of saying, God, I want to put you first and you have me make the decision about all these things. This is my list. What are you saying about this? What are you saying about this? What are you saying about this? And we're just making decisions that says, oh, this is a good decision. Or, and I think this is actually the most common reason, is because this is what our schedule says. And so that's what we do. This is what my calendar says, and this is what I do. I've got to be here. I've got to go here. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Instead of saying, wait a second, I'm going to carve some of these things away from me, out of my schedule, so that I have more time to spend on God and the things of God, because I want to make that my priority. So then when we're already doing that, then when we're making decisions at work, at home, community, all this kind of stuff, we're making them by the, by the foundational rule, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? What are you trying to say to me? What, are you, what is the direction you're leading me? How are you doing this? I, I've talked about this a lot, lady, that I think we're just kind of living good Christian lives, but we're not pursuing God. Those are two different things, right? You can pursue Christianity without pursuing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and, and just God being in the authority over all of this. Okay, now, I really believe that the, that the, the Lord has got a, a lot planned for us. But we've got to make the right decisions. The, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. The key there is righteous. What, it, what is righteous? Righteous is being made right with God. In other words, your pursuit is God. Righteous living is the pursuit of God. The blood of Jesus makes you right with God. So therefore, that's your, pa- that's your path. God, what do you want? God, what are you doing? How are, how are you saying this to me? What is the direction over here? Instead of saying, okay, I'm going to kind of live my life and the Lord's going to um, orchestrate my path, some kind of, you know, almost like a predestination mentality. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe you, you're going to walk the path regardless. I believe you've got to make decisions to walk the path. this is a couple months ago, spoke about this difference between the broad road or the highway and the the path that we are uh, on to search for Jesus, to follow Jesus. The highway, the broadway is broad and open and it's easy and everybody seems to be going down it. But the path, while it's not hidden, it's narrow and you're going to have to to choose consciously to take the steps down that path. And the whole crowd's not going. A path is a one-person thing. You got to make conscious decisions. You and the Lord. You and the Lord, not what everybody else is doing, but you and the Lord. And so we've got to have that that kind of that balance that's going on there. Okay. Now, let's go <clears throat> let's go back um, with with some of that in mind. Let's go back to the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Um, they had they they had been in captivity seventy years. Had been now in exile for ninety years. They went and rebuilt the temple. But then Nehemiah comes to uh, the king and says to the king, I would like to go rebuild the walls. For 90 years, the Israelites had, had the freedom to go back to Jerusalem and, and build the, the uh, temple and the walls and everything else. They had gone back to Jerusalem and they had rebuilt the temple, but they hadn't rebuilt the walls. The, raw, the walls were in complete ruin. Now, uh, let's pause a little bit and let's think about that. We're gonna we're gonna read through this and unpack it a little bit here. But why would there what is what would be a possible reason that the temple would have been rebuilt but not the walls? Okay, they were getting harassed. They were getting messed with. Um, it wasn't like open war, but. They they were threatening. They didn't want them rebuilding the walls because when the people of the land saw the walls were built, then, then now you've got a fortified structure and they can't do anything about it. Okay, that's one of the reasons. What's another possible reason? Well, that is a reason. Another one is a possibility. What did you say? Yes, they didn't they didn't have the resources to do it. Uh, there, the it. it it appears, I don't think I'm completely supposing this, it appears when Nehemiah starts the conversation with the king, the reason the walls weren't built is because they didn't have the resources. That's why he asked the king for the resources. They had Maybe they had exhausted all of their resources on the temple, and now they don't have any. And And it's good that their priority was to get the temple built first. That, that is definitely the right priority. But here's part of the problem with this, is now they've got the temple built, And they're worshiping God, but they don't have anything else that is a part of who they are. And this is one of the things, when Nebuchadnezzar first took them over, this is one of the big deal that he did, is he went and destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, did all the other stuff to demoralize them. Okay, so when you have a ruler of a city in biblical time, where did they sit and do uh, their ruling stuff? They're like the mayor of the city. Where did he sit and do his ruling stuff? At the gates of the city. The actual gates of the city was a very important place because it showed that we have authority. We can close people out. We can put people in. This is, this is even part of the deal that our country's struggling with right now about walls and borders and immigrants and everything else. If, if you don't have any borders, you don't actually have a country. And this, is what, this is the exact thing in, the, in Nehemiah that we're seeing. They had the temple. They could worship in the temple, but they had nothing else, they didn't have a country, they didn't have an organizational system, they didn't have any authority or rulership because all of that stuff could be immediately, instantaneously destroyed if you didn't have a, a control structure, a, a, a control ability around your city. You couldn't, you couldn't go have court at the city gates because first there was no city gate and also anybody could interrupt that or do anything that they wanted, any any outside a marauding group can immediately come in and destroy anything you do. You try to build some of your infrastructure, your houses and your other stuff, immediately could be destroyed because you didn't, have the, you didn't have what we would consider to be in today the ruling power of your borders. Okay, So this is part of what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's why he tore the walls down. That's why he tore the, the, the city apart is because he knew he could demoralize them. And the Israelites, probably more than any people group that has ever lived, this directly applies to. Because if you go back to the original covenants of the Israelite people, there was three things that were always tied together with the Israelites. We're still seeing this played out today. This is why it is so important even today. Their covenant with God was directly connected to God's blessing upon them, God's relationship on them in relationship to their land. The Israelites' land is always included in the covenants in a way that we don't have an, in... We, we've never had this in America. We're, you know, we're patriotic. This is our country. This is our land. This is all of our kind of stuff. Um, when, when, when the World Trade Towers were bombed in, in uh, 11, uh, uh, in 2001, <laughs> September 11, 2001, it, it, man, this, you're coming to our shores. You're going to do this on our shores. That's a big deal. But it's still not the same magnitude as the Jewish people. Their actual walk with God is directly tied to their land. And so tearing all of this apart demoralizes them in, in a core way. Right? Now, this is part of the reason that all of this stuff comes to ne- uh, Nehemiah like this. Now, I want to I show you something that I found in looking at this, and then we're going to start reading a little bit of Nehemiah and look at some of this stuff, Tom. Yeah, if you remember when they were going to build the temple originally, remember they floated all the wood down to, to, um, to the shores and then could take it to Jerusalem from there because why? They don't have, I've, I've been in Israel, they don't have big, huge trees you can make beams out of. They got trees you can make like marshmallow sticks out of, but not beams and things like that. That had to come from other places, That that was the biggest one. <clears throat> yes. Okay, so here is, this. that is the next statement I was going to make. This is actually something I stumbled across. This is actually the definition of Nehemiah's name in Hebrew. You can, you can easily do this. You just get a Bible dictionary. You've got to go to the Hebrew. And you look at this, but Nehemiah's name is a collection of two words. It's a it's a put together, which most Hebrew names are are collections, like this river and this means this, you know. And, and the and the and the altar of Baal, and he worshipped Baal by the river, and his name is Baal Yezobah. That's actually Satan, but you don't understand. So, so Nehemiah, the first half of his name in in Hebrew is actually Nacham, or Nacham, if the, if you said that in English. Nakam, which means to breathe slowly or to console someone. All right? The second half of his name is Yah, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Yah, Would be this, the way you would say that in Hebrew. The Yah means the spirit of God or the presence of God. So, so his name literally means the consoling breath or spirit of God. All right? Now, now, why is that important? We're, as we walk through this, this is something that I think is just huge. And, and, you know, I never really had paid attention until recently, some of this stuff. And as I'm going back through the book of Nehemiah and going back through it and reading, I see all this stuff jumping out that i would never really noticed before. And this is, this is the basic foundation that I'm going to get to, is what Tom is talking about, about the leadership. But I would like to take it one more level and say that his name actually is showing us that this is spiritual leadership. And some of the things that Nehemiah does through this, I believe is actually one of those cool things in Scripture that we see all through the Old Testament where God tells us something that is going to happen with, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and with the New Testament church later by showing us glimpses of this in the Old Testament. And I believe the book of Nehemiah is one of these things. This story is much bigger than they came and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. I really believe that this is, and, and you're going to see as we go through this, there's a bunch of stuff in this book that show me personally, and I think we'll do the same with you, that show me how to, um, to, to walk in a reconciled, restored mentality while allowing the Holy Spirit to build me, to do some of the things. Remember what I said earlier is, Salvation makes us right with God, but we still got stuff. We still got things. And 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 the people that really move forward in God are the ones that go to the Lord and figure out through his word and through the, the direction of the Holy Spirit how to work on those things. How to get those things worked out according to the, to what God wants and some taken away, some attitude, some change, mentality changes. This, this is spiritual maturity, this is spiritual direction, those kind of things. The, the Christians that seem to just struggle year after year after year in the same exact thing, same cycle, same family cycle, same life cycle, same work cycle, all the different things and, and financially, attitudinally, all this different stuff is because they, they haven't Figured out that yes, I'm reconciled to God, but what do I do with the stuff? What do I do with the details? What do I do with the with the baggage? What do I do with the past? What do I do with who I am right now? I've had this conversation with many um, with many women that have had um, uh, abuse in marriage and all these other things, and they and they they get out of that marriage, and then I through counseling and things like that. I'm talking with them, and I tell them. And I've done this somewhere, I've seen success, and somewhere I haven't. But I tell these ladies, there is a reason why you were married to that guy the first time. What? There's a reason why you chose him. If you don't ever go there, if you don't ever process this, you're going to choose another one just like him. It is the pattern. It is so common. Now, I have seen success, success stories where they figure some things out, they let the Holy Spirit get in their mind and their spirit and change things and look differently. It, usually it has to do with a lot about how they look at themselves, okay? And processing that, and they, when they get to the, the, this next relationship somewhere along the way, it's a different guy. Obviously it's a different guy. You don't know understand what I'm saying. They're not the same kind of person. But I've also seen many times where they go back to the exact same kind of person. Six months later, they're calling me again. Pastor, he's beating me. Yeah, I know. You see what I'm saying? You can take this into every area. I've I've worked with this with people with finances. I get so strapped. My bills are can't. I I can't pay, pay the bills. I can't do all this stuff. Okay. The first question you figure out is how did you get to this place? Not God rescue me from this place. How did you get here? If you don't go to the how did I get here, it doesn't matter. Somebody can hand you a million dollars tomorrow and, and, and a year from now you'll be right back in this same place. You guys know statistically that people that win the lottery in five years, they're broke. You know that? Millions and millions of dollars, five years broke. Because Why? They're the same person that was broke when they bought the lottery ticket the first time. The reason they bought a lottery ticket is part of the problem. So somewhere you got to get the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to get in your mind, to get in your spirit, to get into your life, and change some things. And what Nehemiah is representing and showing us a lot through this is that the, the consoling spirit of God has the ability to step into our life and fix the walls, rebuild the walls, and fix our life. Now... The, the center of this, the temple, has to be fixed first, and we got to search after God first. got to be right with God first for the Holy Spirit to be able to have freedom to do this kind of stuff. But just because you're right with God doesn't mean that you have the ability to fix the walls unless you know what the Holy Spirit is trying to do to fix each one of those areas of the walls. Okay, This is, this is going to be a great study as we go through this. So now, let's go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, that's my introduction, Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to do this like, you know, we're just going to kind of, this is expository, I don't usually do expository, but this is what we're going to do for the next couple months, is we're going to expository go through this. What that means is we're going to go sentence by sentence, and we're going to stop at certain places, Linda doesn't like expository teaching, we're going to go to sentence by sentence until we get to certain places and then we're going to discuss, we're going to, you know, that kind of thing, all right? So if I'm reading through and I'm kind of moving on and you want to stop me and let's talk about it, let's do that, all right? I'll probably do that enough that you won't necessarily need to, but I don't have a problem with it, you know that, so stop me. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hen and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me, with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So now, who is this Hanani Hanani guy? Somewhere in the process, his family after the Nebuchadnezzar group, uh, after the uh, Cyrus came in and attacked Nebuchadnezzar and took the kingdom from Nebuchadnezzar and let the Israelites go, somewhere his family, because that would have been his grandparents and great-grandparents, right? 90 years. Somewhere in that time frame, he, he his family moved back to Israel. So he's been living in Israel, but at some level he's traveling back and forth because he knows... Um, he knows Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is not going to be doing a lot of traveling because he's a cupbearer, all right? <clears throat> and they said to me, these people, this group of guys that were Hanani, they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, now, let me, let me also throw this out here because it appears, this is um, this is a little bit about uh, why the, ga- the the walls hadn't already been rebuilt. There is a chance that they had tried to rebuild parts of the walls because it appears that this the gates being torn down and burned seems to be not the not the uh, seventy plus ninety, not the hundred and sixty years ago, but it seems to be present, more real time. Right? That's what it appears by the way that the verbalization is. The, wall, the gates are being burned. So maybe they had tried to do something about rebuilding parts of the wall already, but it just wasn't going well. All right, But we don't know for sure, but it looks like maybe that. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this is a very important sentence, I believe, for what I was talking about just a second ago about what Nehemiah's name is, the, the consoling spirit or breath of God, and what role that Nehemiah is going to play. As Tom was saying, Nehemiah is going to play the, uh, a very important role of leadership for these people. But I believe that it's actually a picture of how the Holy Spirit is showing us what Jesus does and, and how the Holy Spirit works in our life uh, after the cross. Okay. For, for example, Joseph. When we see the story of Joseph, you understand that the story of Joseph, while it's a true story about a guy named Joseph, and all the details are real details about a guy named Joseph, you understand that it's a picture that is foretelling of who Jesus is. Even the name Joseph is the same name that we would use for Jesus uh, in, in uh, the New Testament. That's the, that's the Hebrew of the, the, term, the name that we would use for Jesus in the New Testament. So the fact that Joseph um, delivers them and, and, and rises to this position of power, and he has the vision, all these different things, all of this is a foretelling of how Jesus operates in our life. God's, God's really big. He can do that kind of stuff. Real story, Joseph, all this, and God unfolds it in such a way that we get to see pictures of who Jesus is. This is the same thing. So verse 4 again, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Why would Nehemiah care? Why, why, does, he, why does he sit down and weep? Why did, why did he mourn and fast and pray for days? They're his people. And remember, he's tied to the land. If you're a Jewish person, you're tied to the land. Think about this. People are still, to this very day, um, going back to Israel. 1948, established as a country, given their, their land back. And I know there's always this debate, you know, the, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberal, uh, Liberation Authority, What I can't remember, you know what I'm saying where Arafat came in on there and said, no, the Palestinians were here before the Jewish people were here. The Palestinians were there before the Jewish people were there in 1948. But they were not there before the Jewish people were there in 3000 BC. Okay? So and keep that in balance. They're, they're tied to their land. In 1948, people started coming back to Israel. They're still doing it today. People are still coming back. People from all over, all different people groups that are Jewish are still coming back to Israel today. They have these celebrations every year of all the new people that have come into the country. They build, the, the country builds houses, the tens of thousands of houses a year for people that are coming back. This Nehemiah, this is, this is part of the picture of, of Jesus. This is, this is one of the moments. Remember when Jesus looks out over the city and his, and his heart is moved with compassion because the people are without a shepherd. You see the same kind of language here? Nehemiah is, is weeping and hurting over Israel and the fact that, yes, they do have the temple and they're worshiping, but they don't have the identity. This is one of the things about the 1948 coming back to Israel that was such a big deal. Jews all over the world could worship God, but they didn't have the identity. They weren't a people. They didn't have a land. They didn't have borders. This is, this is a big deal. So he sits down, he weeps, mourns and fasts and prays to God for days. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love. What's His covenant? You will be my people. This will be your land. Remember, that's His covenant. It's all tied together. God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. This is what I was talking about a little bit Sunday morning about when we go to Psalms 103, where I said that, that this is one of the benefits of being a Christian is he heals all your diseases, forgives all your sins. I, I, when I say that, I say that to God, that I'll quote those kind of scriptures to God. Remember what I said Sunday. I'm not reminding God. It appears that he is saying that he's reminding God. It looks like he's reminding God. Remember your covenant? We see that all through scripture where, where the prophets and kings say, God, remember what you said. Remember your covenant. I heard a sermon when I was in college from my... From Linda's dad, he was my pastor at the time, he wasn't my father-in-law yet. And I remember him preaching a message about, remind God of his word. And that's, that sermon stuck with me. Not because God's forgotten, but because there's a reason he told us his word. It's because we want, he wants us to remember it. When we, when we remind God of it, we're really telling ourselves, we're building our own faith. It's not like God forgot it. He's wanting us to remember it. So when we get to the point where we're telling him, God, remember when you said this, God says, yes, I remember very well. And usually what that also means is God says, I remember very well. Do you remember all of it? Right? Because in God's, in God's covenant, in God's saying there's always some qualifiers, if my people Will, remember? If my people will, then I will. And usually what we're doing is we're saying, God, remember when you said then you will do this? And God says, yes, I do remember that. Do you remember the first part? Right? So the the remembrance kind of thing. Listen, um, those who love him, obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. Again, this is a great formula when it comes to how do we go before God? God, remember what you said. And then immediately, this is why I'm saying, then God reminds us. God, remember your covenant. And then immediately in our spirit, we go, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Because when we really get before God, we will always be convicted. We really get before him, not when we're just throwing up a bunch of petitions to him, God, do this, give me this. When we really get before God and say, God, I really want your presence, I really want you to be God over this scenario, this thing, we will always be brought to repentance because that frees us from all the constraints and, and, and issues of sin. It gives us that open relationship and access and, and connection with God and now we're ready to listen, we're ready to do some changing, we're ready to move forward and do some of those kind of things. So, he says, do you, do you remember your covenant, God? And then he immediately says, and I confess that I've sinned. I've confessed and I've sinned. That, that should be incorporated in your daily prayer, regular all through the day, actually. is Lord, I want to be right with you, I want to be clean before you. I, I'm, my, my mind gets off, my attitude gets off. You know, those are, those are good times. Again, I, I try to remind us of this regularly. I don't see repentance as this big negative thing. You know, God's made this rule and I broke it. Now i got to grovel before the Lord. I don't think that's what repentance is. I think what repentance is is, God, I have sinned and that causes me a lot of problems. So please, clean that away and get it get me right with you. That's, that's what repentance is. God, I don't want that junk in my life. I don't want that stuff in my life. Th- this is... This is, maybe the the example doesn't work good for you, but this is what it works for me. I was a kid, um, it was Christmas time, we had a bunch of candy, you know, in your stockings, you get, in fact, I was thinking about this the other day, we always got those lifesaver books, you guys know what we're talking about, what I'm talking about? You know, it had like the five rolls of lifesavers, and we got a bunch of candy, got all this kind of stuff, and my family really wasn't a sweets and candy kind of family, we just weren't. My parents were really conscious, they were both educators, there's your problem. And uh, we just weren't allowed to have fun food. And so I had all this candy, all this stuff, and I literally sat there and ate every bit of it at one sitting. Well, guess what I did later that night? Yeah, I got sick, threw it all up. Now, here's the thing that I always think about repentance is, that candy seemed really, really good while I was eating it. But when the effects of the candy took over, it didn't seem so good. This is what sin does. Sin, sin, sin seems good while you're indulging, but the effects of the sin are always debilitating. They're painful, they're destructive, all this other kind of stuff. Repentance, to me, is puking. Right? Some of you are like, wow, that is profound. I need to write that down. I don't want the sin, I don't want the effects, I don't want the stuff, but I don't have the ability to do this by myself. So I go before the Lord and I say, Lord, please cleanse me. Forgive me. Wash me of all this stuff. Get it out of my system. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my heart. I don't want Satan to have that kind of control over me. And it's a cleaning, it's a purging. Repentance to me is a very good thing. It's a positive thing. It's not, I feel guilty and I grovel before this, God's going to send me to hell. Really, when I'm repenting, I don't even think about hell. Hell's not part of the subject in my head. It's, Lord, I want to be right. I want those avenues of communication, that sensitiveness and intimacy open. So that's what I believe that's what he's doing there. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us your servant Moses. He's going all the way back. Remember the reason that they were brought into captivity in the first place. Remember when Daniel was reading and he says, we're going to be in slavery for 70 years. This is, we're, we're coming upon this 70-year mark. The reason they were in, brought into slavery in the first place is because they had walked away from God and started serving other gods. They voluntarily said, God, we want to, we want to walk away from you. This is something I just don't think we get in America. We don't process this. And I know this is not popular, and if you say this kind of stuff, you'll get attacked by certain groups within Christianity. But I believe it works the same for America as it has any other country or any other place on the planet. When you push God away, you will eventually be brought into slavery. And I don't mean just spiritual slavery. Now, I don't think we're going to be made slaves by another uh, ruling force. But I do believe that America has been setting itself up for a long time now to come crashing down if we don't get before God and say, God, forgive us. This isn't about military might or financial strength or anything else. This is about the fact that God's in control of the planet. And if you push God away and you don't have God's protection, and I do believe 9-11 was a glimpse of that. It was, God, we don't want you. We don't want you in our schools. We want the ability to murder babies. We want all this other stuff, God. Get out of our lives. We don't want prayer. We don't want Ten Commandments in the courtrooms. We don't want any of this stuff. God, get away from us. Get away from us, God. God says, okay, but me with you is what is protecting you. We don't want you, God. Get away from us. And then the enemy comes in. And Satan will use a lot of things. And I I said this a couple months ago. I believe the the number one reason that America has been so financially blessed and so prosperous and everything else over the years is because we were following him and we sent missionaries around the world. Not just that we started as a Christian nation, which we did, but because we send missionaries. We send the gospel. As long as we're about Jesus and sending the gospel, he'll finance our country. When we stop doing that... He'll stop financing the country, which I also believe is a good formula for churches. You send the gospel around the world, God will make sure you got the finances to do it. You stop doing that, what does He care if you exist? What does He care? I mean, literally, what does it matter if a local church exists if it's not about people getting saved? Why would God care that it exists? You say, we well, want a place for people to worship and everything else, then go to another place to worship. Why does each church individually exist? The reason God will support that is because you're sending the gospel to your community and to the world. That's a a basic foundation of Christian living. Okay. Now, with that, it says we've sinned, we got away from you, we begin to serve other gods, all this other stuff. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. 1948 was the bringing back of the people of God from the scattering of the nations. That's what, that's what happened. They had been scattered. Guys, we gotta, we got to process some of this on our personal level. we got to process this when it comes to our, our families, marriage, relationships, all these other kind of things is if we'll put God first in everything, then the scattering mentality doesn't exist for us. God will keep you. God will protect you. God will cover you. Even the concept of finances. This is why in Malachi it says that if we, will, if we will tithe, then he will rebuke the devourer. The devourer is Satan. He's trying to devour all of us on the planet, every person on the planet all the time. This is specifically with finances. If you tithe, he rebukes the devourer. He says, Satan, you can't touch their finances. Why? Because they've given their finances to me. How do we signify Us giving our finances to the Lord. Tithing. That's the same concept. This is the bigger picture, but it's the same concept. When I'm doing weddings, there'll come a point where I will say to the bride, uh, or I will say to the... One of them first. My brain just locked up. I will say to the groom first, do you have a token of your love... A symbol of your love uh, with you today. What does the groom hand me? The ring. There's an a commitment level. There's an all-in. I haven't been married since June 1. They had to take my ring off to do the surgery. So I'm a free man. Because my fingers are still swelled. so <laughs> so because i can 't get it back on my fat fingers they they had to cut it, they actually were halfway through cutting, the doctor said I got this, and they used windex in surgery, so that 's not the point here um. So these are there's things all all through Scripture that are like this, signifying elements that say God I'm doing this. Go to the temple. Remember, as long as the lamp is lit in the temple, it shows that God's presence is there. It's not because a fire is burning in the lamp; it's because they're paying attention to all the details of it: the wick, the oil, the making sure that the fire is burning, trimming it, doing all that kind of stuff. That signifies that their heart is fashioned on God. The same thing with the with the Ark of the Covenant. I talked about this. Uh, A couple weeks ago, that the Ark of the Covenant was the, the representation of God's presence in the Holy of Holies. As long as they took care of the Ark, that's why when invading armies came in, they always took the Ark. Because it signified God's presence and power and authority with His people. It's the same thing with this. With us, we have the ability to say, God, I am going to put you first. And we can do that in very physical, tangible ways. Spending time and energy with God, doing your spiritual disciplines, getting God's word open and spending time in God is the lamp being lit in the temple mentality. Okay, we can actually do this kind of stuff where he says, I'm going to, I'm going to um, live by your ways and your commands. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. There's real tangible stuff that we can do with this. This is what the wall represents all the way around um, uh, Jerusalem here is are you taking care of, Are you intentionally taking a priority to say, God, we want you to be in charge and protect us? We want you to be God over us. And we symbolize that by building the wall. All right, so that he continues. Um, He says, But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place. I've chosen for my name to be honored. This was this was prophesied by Daniel right before this. This was prophesied um, before Daniel. We see that it was prophesied again before uh, uh, the, um, the the modern rebuilding of Jerusalem. That we see where the, that it was prophesied even that they would come back in 1948. All of this is prophesied all through Scripture. Okay. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayer of those of us who delight in honoring you. And this is one of the things that I pray, and I've been praying so much more for our country nowadays, is, Lord, the people that are really hungering for you, listen to them. Not not just people that call themselves the church or they. You know they say they're good Americans or whatever. I'm not picking on those people. They're probably great people, but I'm saying the people that are truly saying, "God, we want you back in tr- control of our country." We humble ourselves before an Almighty God. We want you in control of us. We want you, God, over us. I pray the same thing for Church of Briargate all the time. Lord, we want you in charge of us. We want you here. I I believe Sunday was a is was a great a great um mourning for us in some of this kind of breakthrough stuff. In fact, I, um, I uh, texted Keith King uh, yesterday, I think. I said, Keith, how are you doing? We prayed for him, prayed for him. He, so If you were in first service, you saw this. We prayed forever up here for Keith. I um, mean, he has Parkinson's, he's got, he got all, a lot of things going on. And um, during second service, he actually went back into the closet back there and prayed during second. I didn't know that and he was praying in second service in the closet. And then after we prayed for everybody during second service, uh, somebody said, hey, Keith's back there in the closet. Went back there and prayed for him a long time back in there again. So I texted him. I said, Keith, how are you doing? And he he said, I really feel so much better today. I really feel like I had a breakthrough Sunday. This is something he's been praying for for a long, long time. Long time. And so these are the kind of things, is do we get that breakthrough? Do we, do we start, you know, in the thinking of the wall, it's one stone at a time. God, we're going to do this. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pushing into you because there's going to come a moment when he hears from heaven and opens the floodgates of heaven. That's in Malachi about finances. What about in Second Chronicles? Then I will hear from heaven. I will heal your land. You can go through all these different scenarios in Scripture where we go in, we get in, we press in. We press in. God, we're seeking you. We're seeking you. We're seeking you. And then it begins to break. The strongholds begin to break and the stuff and the junk that seems to be manipulating us and playing us and Satan playing us and and I, I just feel like Satan has a lot more um, a lot more power control than he should. We've got to break through that we've got to break through that and so th- this is where you, you you keep doing this and then the Lord hears and then the Lord hears and he begins to bring from exile begins to bring us back, and from the, from the desert mentality and begins to bring us back. Then the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayer of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Now, that's enough for tonight. We'll start in chapter 2. Next week, uh week after next, we're not having church next week um because it's um not on next Wednesday, we're having the weekend. we're not having church next Wednesday because it's July fourth, and uh all of our pastors around here don't love Jesus on July fourth, and so we're not having church on that day, and I think Mary is the one who brought it up. I was just saying <laughs> so. So um, so a week after next, we're going to jump into chapter 2 and go into this. This is kind of like the introduction. This is, this is the story, okay? Uh, Nehemiah says, all right, this is what's happened now. Now the rest of the story is telling how he does it, and that's the cool part. Guys, I really believe as we walk through this, you're going to see some stuff where you say, you know what, I don't have to deal with that. I've been dealing with that for 20 years. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I can literally change this and rebuild the wall the way the Lord wants it. I can let go of some of the stuff. I can let go of some of the baggage. I can do some of those kind of things. So so let's pray. And, um, oh, yeah, Anthony and I were talking. You know how we're doing the coffee shop with the, for the missionaries? Mm. Um, we were talking about this, and it, I think he, he brought up a very valid point. We, so the coffee shop, all the money that we, you know, we have to pay for all of the stuff. Once we get that paid for, all of the rest of the, the um, money that comes in during that month, all of it goes to the missionary of the month, and the Medfords are for this month in uh, Turkey. So, Anthony brought up a good point. What happens if we don't meet of all our bills and we're a little bit under? Um, I think what we're going to do is send a letter to the missionary, telling them they owe us uh, for that extra money. Isn't that a good idea? We am going to keep this above board, keep it financially sound. So... <laughs> You can see a missionary getting that letter. What? All right, so with all of this, uh, how are we going to pray? What's God putting in your heart? What's he stirring in you personally to pray about? Nothing? So in your spirit, it's just been a dial tone all night? What's? Okay, it's good. She said, "Clean out her heart so the Lord can rebuild her life." What else? Anything? Anything? The Holy Spirit, kind of getting in your head about right now. Anna, I I know you're saying something, Anna, but I can't hear you. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. God, help me! Help me! Just do what Your Word says. I just know from my experience of just being a Christian, every one of us in here have something right now that you know the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to do this, or I want you to do this differently. I want you to change this. It's not always easy, but somewhere we just got to say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be obedient to what you're telling me. And primarily that's his word. He's telling us stuff. All right. Anything else? Yes, sir. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. the The big picture, what I'm going to try to get across through this is that Nehemiah really represents the Holy Spirit in our life. Okay? But I also believe that another nice trail of that is what he is saying here. God may want you to be a Nehemiah right now, somewhere in your life. You recognize the walls. I mean, or I'm not saying in your personal life, I'm saying it in some setting in your life your family or your workplace or some. There's walls torn down, and God wants you to be the Nehemiah to say, let's fix this, let's do something about this let's go here let's let's think this way let's do this and so all right so let's pray God we come before you know